Now, good morning. I'm James Soans, and as uh, many of you know, um, this summer we're going through the book of Psalms. And uh, each week we're going to read one of the Psalms, um, the hymn book of the people of the Old Testament. And uh, together we're going to look at it, meditate on it, think on it, and, um, and, and kind of use it as our hymn to God. And uh, that's what I'd, I'd like to do today. And uh, Dave Hine left it up to me to pick a psalm. And so I picked Psalm 84. And, uh, and if you would, turn there in your pew Bibles. It's on page 413. Um, I'd like to, uh, to read it together before we get started, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of dig into what it has to say. Yeah, Psalm 84. There's a prescript at the, at the top. I'll read that too. It says, For the director of music, according to the Giddith, which is kind of like a guitar, of the sons of Korah, a song. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage, As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Selah. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Um, Let's pray real quick before we dig into this, okay? Our Heavenly Father... Thank you for being here uh, at this church this morning, for, uh, for meeting with us. Lord, may we, uh, may we honor you as we go through and read and um, study your word, and may you just be blessed um, by our time spent, and Lord, may we learn that uh, more and more we need to be with and spend time with you. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, psalm 84 is part of a category of psalms called the Songs to Zion. And, uh, and if you were to read through the entire Old Testament and find the word Zion, it's actually used in a number of different ways. Um, the first time it's actually used, there's a region um, that David conquered, and it actually has the very location, the city of, Israel, or the city of Jerusalem is in that region. Um, and then later on, that same word Zion is actually used to refer to the city of Jerusalem. Um, sometimes the word Zion is used to refer to the temple that was built by Solomon in the city of Jerusalem. And then sometimes it refers to the entire nation of Israel, um, all of the people there. 
Um, and then in Isaiah, there's a few prophecies that talk about Zion as a, as a future location, the place where God dwells with his people. But in every case, um, pretty much in every case, it's a place where God is at. It's the place where God is at. And so these songs, these psalms in the book of Psalms, our songs to Zion, um, are psalms that the people of Israel in the Old Testament sang as they took a trip, as they planned a journey, and they traveled to Zion. As they, and in their case, they were going to the temple in the city of Jerusalem in Israel. And they would do this annually at different times throughout the year. They would go during Pentecost or Passover um, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and so this is the song that they would sing as they traveled to the place where God was to meet with God. So what I'd like to do this morning is, is first go through this, this psalm kind of verse by verse and kind of look at it and, and see how the people then prepared their hearts to meet with God and, uh, and then make some application at the end, okay? So let's look at verses 1 and 2 where the psalmist here is, the author of the psalm, is preparing uh, to meet with God. He says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. In verses 1 and 2, the author is showing, uh, shows us that he is preparing himself as he sings. He's saying how lovely, or, or another translation could be, I am in love with the very place where God is at. I am in love with that place where I can meet with God. He says, my soul, my heart, my flesh, all of me is desperate to meet with God. I have that great desire to meet with God. I want to be in the middle of his will, and I want to be in the midst of his presence. And that's where our hearts ought to be as we prepare to meet with God. Verses 3 and 4. It says, even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. And the psalmist here either, either was there and looked at the birds, or he remembered a time when he was there and saw the birds making a home, a nest, in the altar of the Lord, or near the altar of the Lord. And it says, wow, even the birds make a home near the very place where their creator is at. That that's where they're at and that's where they desire to dwell. In the Bible, sparrows are worthless birds. By the time the New Testament come around, you could buy two sparrows for a penny. They were cheap and worthless. And, and sparrows um, uh, and swallows were wandering birds. They were restless wandering birds that never settled down. And yet these birds that are worthless and restless, both of them find a home and a place of protection right where God is at. The application from this is, and I have to ask myself, do I desire God so much that I want to make my home in the very place where God is at? Am I as smart as the birds? Okay? The birds realize the benefits of being near their creator. Am I even as smart as these birds? Um, if they are honored and privileged to be near God's altar, how much more so are people who um, can actually be in God's very presence? At the end uh, there of verse 4, it says, those who dwell in God's house are ever praising him. They're the ones that are blessed, the ones that make their home, that dwell 
with God, that they are ever blessed. In the book of James in the New Testament, James 4, 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's a simple promise, but it's a promise that God makes. And he says, if you draw near to God, he will come to you. And what this says is that we really are as close to God as we choose to be. That if we say, man, I just don't, um, I, God's not near me like I would like him to be. Um, you know, and if you're getting further and further away from God, it's not because God's getting further away from you. That we choose on how uh, to be close to God or not. That he says, I will draw near to you if you draw near to me. Um, in verses 5 through 7 of this passage, it says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. And this is the second place in the psalm where it describes somebody as blessed. The blessed person is the person who has set their heart on pilgrimage. It's the person with a passion for God who has determined, determined to do whatever it takes, to take whatever journey or road it's going to take to be with God. Um, the pilgrimage in this passage could be literal, and it could be literally talking about people who take the journey from various parts of Israel to go to that place where they can meet with God, or it could be figurative, just like our journey through life until one day we will meet with Him uh, in eternity. Um, whether it's literal or, or figurative, either, either one, um, the first verse here, verse 7, it says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. The pilgrimage, the journey it's going to take, is not done in our own strength. That we don't wake up one morning and say, I'm just going to today go after God. That it must be His initiative and His empowerment in our lives to actually go and do that. Um, verse 5 says it's done in the strength of the Lord. Verse 6 says that pilgrims will pass through the valley of Baca. And Baca in Hebrew means weeping. And we don't know today if that's actually a literal valley or, or a figurative valley because there's not a place in Israel today where you can go and say, that's Baca right there. Um, but in, in those days, there were a lot of valleys all over Israel, and it's a, a fairly dry and arid place um, in Israel. And so, but this valley, Baca, means weeping or sorrow, agony. It's saying in our journey to God, these pilgrims will pass through um, the valley of weeping or suffering. And this isn't hidden in the Bible. Christians and, and believers all throughout do not have easy lives. God says, whenever you are coming to me, when you are taking that journey through life, you will pass through times in life where you suffer, where there is sorrow. And yet, in, in these verses, it says, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs, the autumn rains cover it with pools. Um, verse 6 says that God uses that time in the valley of people's life that, they could br that it brings about refreshment and revival. That they could get water in a dry place in the midst of a sorrowful valley. Um, and God sometimes takes us through that valley just so that we can have that refreshment. And, and you probably know it as well as I do. 
that there are many people who until they go through a hard time in life, they don't go to God. That as soon as trouble strikes in their life, God is actually going to use that to make them pray. That they turn to God when they have to go through that time of hardship. I want to show you a picture I took um, when I was in Israel, and it's not much of a picture to look at, but it's something you can maybe learn from it. Um, if you notice, this is, this is kind of the wilderness very, very dry, arid, desert, desert place. Um, but, and, it's, and it's somewhat of low elevation. No rain falls in this area. But rain falls a ways away at a place of higher elevation. And as the rain falls, the water flows down into this very area. And if you'll notice in the picture, it's in the valley that has trees and shade and water and refreshment. Not on the mountaintop experiences of our life. It's not when our lives are going great and we can see the view and it looks so beautiful. It's actually in the dark shadows of the valley that you can be refreshed by God. Um, And that may have been what the author of this psalm was thinking of. That in the valleys of our life, do we use that time to turn to God and allow God to refresh us as we pursue Him? Um, I'll go on with verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 says, Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon your shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. It says here in the psalm, uh, the psalmist here asks God to hear his prayer. Um, and he's calling on the God of Jacob. And if you know from earlier in the Old Testament, Jacob is one who spent an evening wrestling with God in prayer. And this is the God he's talking to. He's saying, God, you wrestled with Jacob all night. Jacob is the one who pleaded with him long and hard. And in the end, in the morning, Jacob was pleading with God for a blessing. Lord, please bless me. And he walked away from that encounter with God with a blessing. But Jacob also got a broken hip out of the deal. And what the psalmist is saying is, God, you are a God of Jacob that I will pursue you for a blessing, even if it means you break me in the process. That that's how much I desire God. And then in verse 9, it says, Look upon your shield with favor on your anointed one. Um, The author was probably talking about the king of Israel at the time, and we're not really sure when this psalm was written. Uh, It may have been during the days of David. Um, It may also have been Solomon or, or or a later king of Israel. Um... But uh, the king was considered the protector of the people. So the benefit and welfare of the people was very dependent on who their king was. The king was doing well, and God was honoring him and blessing him. Then all the people were blessed. And it says, so here in the prayer, Lord, please continue to use the king to protect us. And Lord, please be pleased with our king. In the New Testament and today, Jesus Christ serves as the king of his people. And then God was very pleased with Christ. And that those people who find themselves in Christ are pleased, are, are blessed by God. Verses 10 and 11 uh, may be familiar to some of you. It says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. 
Um, in the late 1990s, there was a movement among evangelical college students called Passion, or the 268 generation. And, um, and if you were, uh, had wind of that movement, you probably bought a bunch of CDs like I did and listened to the music. And um, one, of the, one of the CDs that came out had a song called Better Is One Day. And just repeatedly they hear, better is one day in your courts. And um, I, I, I don't, couldn't even tell you how many times I had to hear that song, not just sung, but just going through my mind. Um, it was a good song, but I, I wanted, I wanted, what came from that and what came from all that, um, in 2003, they had uh, these conferences all over the nation annually. In and, and, uh, 2003, they had One Day 03. And they had a bunch of bands get together and speakers get together. And it was, and it was going to be this big, huge uh, shindig down in Sherman, Texas. They had 25,000 students set up tents and just like camp out in this big farm um, as they awaited for One Day 03, a big Christian gathering. The weekend before that event, they had um, thunderstorms and really bad winds just sweep through the whole area. Um, some of the students who were at that um, event actually got struck by lightning. Um, none of them seriously hurt, but it was, it was a big deal. A lot of people had their tents swept away, their food, their clothing. And so by the time the conference actually came around, some people literally were standing and waiting at this conference with nothing but what they had on and their tickets in hand. And that was it. The organizer of the event, uh, of the event Louis Giglio, uh, got up and, and began by recounting all that had just happened over the last couple of days and how horrific it was. And, he, and, and then and I think a lot of people were standing there expecting for what he to say next was, and I'm so proud of you guys that you sacrificed and you survived and, and that you are patiently waiting. You know. But he didn't say anything about the people who were there. That when he got done talking about all the storms, he said, and our God is worth it. And they started the conference. And they started playing better as one day in the presence of God than anywhere else. And they really believed that because they believed that God was worth it. That they say, our God, it's better to be one day in his presence, hanging out with him in his courts, than to be anywhere else. I'd rather be a doorkeeper, a servant, a lowly servant in God's house. The least, the person that washes dishes, picks up the mess, cleans up. And I'd rather be the person who stands at the door and washes people's feet as they enter in God's house than to dwell with the wicked in luxury because God is that great and God is that worth it the author of this, this psalm though goes even further and he tells us why it's better to dwell with God than anywhere else he says in uh, verse 11 he says why God is better it says God is a sun and a shield God is our provider. God is our protector. He takes care of us like the sun provides. And he protects us like a shield. It says that God also bestows or gives favor and honor. Another translation of those same two words could be God gives us favor or grace. And God gives us honor or glory. Both of which are completely undeserved. But being with God means we are receiving his grace. And being with him means we are receiving his glory. And if you even have a taste 
of what God's grace is truly like and even a hint of what being glorified with Christ is all about. You know that it's better to be with him than anywhere else. Here the psalmist, um, uh, verse 11, he also says, No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. God does not withhold blessings from people who seek his will and his word. He doesn't withhold any good thing. He just pours it all out. Um, and, and usually what some people do is they take this and run with it, and, and they call it the health and wealth gospel, where God's good blessings to me are going to be poured out if I live right and I do what he wants a little bit. He will give me health and he will give me wealth and he can pretty much give me whatever I want. And, uh, and God's not saying that in this passage. He is saying, I will not withhold anything good And by the way, God knows for us what is good and what's best. Uh, But I will not withhold any of it for those who are pursuing me, whose walk is blameless. Um, When our wills and our desires are lined up with his, as evidenced by the way we walk, he doesn't withhold any of it. He rains down blessing. God doesn't give us everything we want just because we want it, just like no parent would give their kids everything they ask for. No loving parent would do that. Because some of the things your kids ask for tend to not be what's best for them. But because our loving God knows what's best for us, he's not going to withhold anything from his people who are walking in his ways. That he is willing to pour out the blessings. If you go to Romans, chapter 8, I want to show you another verse. It says, he is God. He who did not spare his own son... But gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God knows what's best for us. He knows we needed a savior. More than anything else. And so he gave us a savior. If God was willing to give up his only son for our good. Can you think of anything else that God could give you? that could even compare to that. Why would God not give you something smaller than that? All the good things that he could pour upon you. If he's willing to give up his only son, he's willing to give us all good things. Romans 8, 28 is a passage we might know, is familiar. It says, we know that all, good, all things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's what God does for his people. He gives them what's good and what's best. The bookend here, verse 12, the Psalms bookend, it says, O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Verse 12 actually parallels verse 1. Um, It says, O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. But if you look at verse 1, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. The person who trusts in God is the person who dwells with God. Um, We must trust that the presence of God really is what's best for us, and that's what the whole psalm is about. It's kind of like a summary statement at the end, that if we are yearning for God and who he truly is, we are trusting him. That's a part of that. If we are crying out for God, we're trusting him. If we're living in his house, we trust him. If we praise him, we trust him. 
to find your strength in God is to trust him. To pray to him is to trust him. To serve him, even as a doorkeeper at his house, is to trust him. The blessed man trusts him. Now, as I said before, this whole psalm, Psalm 84, is a psalm of pilgrimage. It's a psalm that people sang as they prepared to meet with God, to be in his presence. And it's a psalm that we could use today to do the very same thing. But today, God doesn't dwell in a temple in a foreign land in Jerusalem that we have to spend weeks of our year walking to go visit with God. Then in the New Testament, God came in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, and said, that is where I will dwell. And if you want to see me, you look at him. You look at Jesus Christ. And then it says, when Jesus ascended to heaven, just as he had promised, he said, I'll send my Holy Spirit, not just to be with you, but to be within you. And in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says that God dwells in his people, the church. That God dwells in our midst. That God is right here with us right now. That each individual believer has God with them. And so if we really want to look at this psalm and say, what does it mean to take a pilgrimage to go and be with God, to spend time in his presence, um, how do we journey to God today? We don't pack our bags and go to the temple. What does it mean? Well, first, we have to come to God on his terms. The people in the Old Testament did not, you know, they they didn't come to God on their terms. They didn't say, well, today I'm just going to, you know, be spiritual and, and I'm just going to spend time with God flippantly. Um, they had to come to God on his terms. They couldn't just go anywhere to meet with God. Um, God was found in Zion. He was in the temple. They, the Israelites didn't seek God his, uh, their way. They came his way. They came to the temple with sacrifices. They came at the appointed times of the year. They had to go through a priest. They had to wear certain clothes. They had to wear, or they had to eat certain foods, that they had to come to God on his terms. And it might go without saying, but one of the things God says today is absolutely necessary to come to him on his terms is that we have to have a relationship with him, that we have to know him. And that if we want to yearn after God, it's not something natural. People all over the world are not yearning after God. That it does, it's not something you just decide to do. You wake up one morning and say, I'm going to. Um, that God says that this desire is something I'm going to place in you. That people around the world don't seek God. That each individual person all over the world has turned away from worshiping God, in fact, and put other things in God's place and decided to worship God in wrong ways and oftentimes not decided to worship God at all. We're going to do it on my terms. I'm going to worship what I want where I want, when I want. And God says, here's my terms. That today, if you want to worship me, you need to have a relationship with me through Jesus Christ. That I made one way, and this is my terms, I made one way to come to me. And that's it. That you come through my son. That you have a personal relationship with Jesus, that he is your savior and he is your Lord and you may come to God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. That we come to God on God's terms. In the New Testament, it says, in Christ, God dwells fully. In Christ, 
we find our strength. In Christ, our prayers are heard. In Christ, we have provision and protection. In Christ, we have grace and we receive glory. In Christ, we should put our faith and our trust. God also says you come humble. I'm God, you're not. That should be obvious, but God's not our buddy. (laughs) Um, God does desire to be our friend, but we need to come to God humbled before him because he is God. He is gracious, but that doesn't mean we demand anything from him. We come to him asking. He is holy and perfect, and when we come to him, we must realize we're messed up and that we need him. He's powerful, and we're utterly dependent on him. And then lastly, we need to come to him grateful, because all good things come from God. When we come to him, we need to recognize that everything we have is from him, that he provides for our lives, he sustains our lives, he forgives our sins when we confess them, and he's a good God. And when we come on God's terms, through Christ, humble and grateful for good things we get from him, God will meet us. When we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. And then lastly, and this is the application that um, I had the hardest time with, we need to come to God often. That I don't know that there's a passage of scripture that says you must spend 15 minutes with God every day or else you're not spiritual. I haven't found that verse yet. And I don't even know why it's hard. But I have to go to God and spend time with God. I should be doing that a whole lot more often than I do. God sent his son and put him on a cross and had him die so that he could have a relationship with me. And I don't value that. I don't even put out a little bit of effort and God was willing to take his son's life just so I could have a relationship with him. If you're like me, life happens. You're wrapped up in things that keep you from spending time with God. Um, Rush through Bible reading, miss prayer time. Go through a whole day trying to depend on your own strength. And um, you get so tied up, or I do, I get so tied up in what I'm trying to do for God that sometimes spending time with God almost seems like it's bothersome. Like, isn't it more important that I do something for God than just be with God? And this psalm really hits me between the eyes when it says we need time with God. That this whole psalm is a pursuit of God. To be with him. Um, I want to show you a video here in just a second. And what it does, it's a video, it's an interview with Billy Graham just taken about six months ago. Billy Graham is one of my heroes in the faith. Um, he's 93 years old. And so whenever you watch this video, you've got to listen real carefully to try and understand this guy. But this is a guy who went his life and had one of the most, if not the most successful ministry for God of any man in the 20th century. In all of world history, he's probably shared the gospel with more people than any other human being in the history of the world. And in this interview, they ask him, do you have any regrets? 
your entire 93 years of ministry, do you have any regrets? And if you could go back and do it again, what would you do differently? Listen, listen to Billy Graham's response. I guess I'd say Billy Graham says his only regret is the amount of time he spent with God. And he had one of the most successful ministries that I can imagine having. Um, it kind of makes me realize how much more time or at least just energy and effort that I ought to be putting out to being with God. Spending time with God, pursuing God, coming to God. If I did it more, if we did it more, we'd have a closer relationship with Him than we do now. It would strengthen our hope. It would make us want heaven more. It'll make us rely on God's power. It'll make us know Him more, trust Him more, love Him more. And when we have all of those things, we tend to go through life resting in Him more. It'll cause us to reflect His character. And when we do that, when we take that pilgrimage, um, we just have a better relationship with God. And I think that's what the whole psalm is about. I'm going to finish with this. Our God, our Savior, our King Jesus Christ is worthy of that pilgrimage. And so in the next week, I'd encourage you, if, even if you haven't planned it, that you make time to spend with God. Because that's what I got out of this, and I know it's been kicking my butt because I know that I need it more too. So let's pray. Our God, we thank you for being so good to us. We thank you for your love and your patience. Lord, I thank you for just being a father who gives me good things, things I don't deserve. And Lord, I just pray that you take the people in this congregation here today and you draw them closer to yourself. That you give us hearts that really desire just to be in your presence and to be with you. There is nothing greater that I have found than to spend time with you, and I don't know why I don't spend more. And Lord, just help make, help make it a priority in all of our lives to be more focused on you, to spend more time with you, and to love you more as we pray and study your word. I pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ, amen.